Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and when I was in Ireland, I was invited to a crack party. A crack party? I imagine that's not what I think it is. No, it's not. It just means, like, a good time, a banging party. Ah, like something like cracking. Yes. So, but when I was, um, when my cousin invited me, I was very confused, and... She has some friends going to New York to live, and I was like, if they get invited to a crack party, it's not the same thing. No, it's not. So, you know, just so y'all know, it's a little bit different, but... Right. Anyhow, yeah, everything over there is like, it's cracking, it's a cracking good time, that's real crack. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, so kind of interesting dynamic. Um, so yeah, like Courtney said, welcome to Addicted to Murder, and obviously I just got back from Ireland. I don't know if you guys saw my... Stuff on Instagram. It looked like a lot of fun. It and was a lot of fun. There were no pictures of me because I was not in Ireland. It's true. Um, maybe sometime though. Someday. I mean, now that I like have uh, established familial connections over there, it's uh, easier to go and and just you know for on a whim, I suppose. That's true. That's yes. true. So I want to say thank you to my cousin McQuill and my cousin Tara for uh, that experience. It was a lot of fun. I love you too. Awesome. Yes. And now that you're back in the U.S., it is also your turn to ask a question for question time. Okay. So my question, Courtney, is do you believe in aliens? I would say that yes and no. I believe that chances are somewhere in the universe there is other intelligent life. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I believe that the kind of aliens quote that have been found or seen or you know alien abduction stories happened not so much that part but i i do believe that something just in all likelihood exists out there other than us it's a big universe it is and we've only seen a tiny 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 little part of it right well i do i mean i do have a dog named Mulder and a cat named scully and I'm a huge X-Files fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if we've had interaction with them. Part of me thinks that uh, they wouldn't bother with us. But I don't know. So maybe some of those sightings of UFOs are real. Maybe they're just something else. Um, I, you know, I can't say for, for certain either way. I just don't know. That's right. Same with Bigfoot. He could be there. He could be. Or she. Very true. Yeah. Or maybe they're like, you know, they don't, they're gender neutral. Who knows? Right. This day and age. But, uh, you know, Bigfoot's big out here in the Northwest. Right. All sorts of Bigfoot stuff. Yep. Or Sasquatch. (laughs) Right. Which are the same thing. They're just different names for the same thing. Firefly and lightning bug. Exactly. Totally. Okay. Well, thanks for that answer. And um, so we're on Arthur Shaw Cross Part 2. And Courtney's going to give a brief overview of what we went over in part one. Yeah, so part one, um, we met little Artie Sharcross, who was born two months early and had all sorts of weird behaviors when he was a baby and a child and felt unloved by his mother and that she loved his younger siblings better. And as a result, um, among other things, he started having you know, violent outbursts and picking on his siblings and little kids at school. 
He struggled in school and was held back a couple of times. Three times. Three times, to be exact. Mm -hmm. And now, I think we left off, he's a a teenager. He's dropping out of school because he has failed so many times. And his violence is just getting more and more intense. Yeah, he, um, remember he possibly was going to kill his cousin, that female cousin. Mm -hmm. He did, like, hit a hit her with a baseball bat so I mean no one is off limits to this guy right exactly excuse me it's it's smoky out here so we're a little I'm sorry if I sound congested same you might hear lots (laughs) of throat clearing and things like that Uh, darn it we almost got through the fire season but no there's a there's a big one in uh, just a couple hours south of us so yay um, okay, so well, Courtney has now read the book that um, we we started on last time because at that point she hadn't read it. And after our last episode, I did watch an interview with Arthur on YouTube, and um, he has got the hard blink for sure. Um, I will put in the show notes um, the YouTube, you know, that you can go and watch him. So also um, in his interview. He changed his story from his aunt molesting him to his mom. Um, in that interview, he was they showed him being put under hypnosis where he revealed a lot of disturbing things that happened to him as a boy. And um, we also did discover that he suffered several head injuries when he was young. Um, so, Courtney, do you want to go into those just a little bit? Yeah. Um, so... I have a, a lot of new thoughts on Artie this mm-hmm. week. Um after you know reading the book and doing a little bit more research and and now that I have more information about him, um, you know I don't think that my initial thought that it could be like autism spectrum disorder is the correct diagnosis anymore. Um, although I do think that like neurobiological factors definitely contributed to his behavior <laughs> and mood issues, um, and particularly his head injuries. Um, And so according to this database um, that's curated at Radford University, where they do a lot of research about serial killers um, and things like that, um, they, in their kind of database where they, the page about Arthur Shawcross, they um, report that he suffered five known head injuries between the ages of nine and 23, um, with at least four of them resulting in a concussion. Um, So it was, he was hit by a rock, he... Um, fell off a ladder at one point. He was hit by a discus when he was... 16 on that one. Right. Um, doing like track and field. Um, there's reports that he was hit by a sledgehammer in the head. And then another time was like a fall mm-hmm. at a lake where he hit his head on, on like a rock or something like that. Um, and so... Later in life, I think after he was already imprisoned, they also did brain scans, like MRIs and CAT scans, and that showed damage to the frontal lobe of his brain. So that's the part that helps control things like impulsivity and decision-making. And then also damage to his temporal lobe, which is involved in things like memory, emotions, um, and language. So... Obviously, all of those things are involved in violent behavior as well. So even though his sort of tendency towards aggression and violence, it was already there before his first head injury. You know, Mm -hmm. it started at a very young age. Um, You know, I don't – I think we can't say that, like, 
having these multiple concussions is the, the thing that made him violent. He was already violent. Um, but I do think it probably played a pretty big role in kind of that intensity and the frequency um, and the level of impulsivity that we see with his previous and soon to be discussed, you know, violent behaviors. Well, and they're, they're seeing that more. I know we've talked about this before, but they're seeing that more and more with the, you know, these professional athletes who are suffering concussions. They, they become violent sometimes later on. So there's definitely mm-hmm. a correlation. Right. And even, you know, going back way into like the 1800s with the infamous case of Phineas Gage, right? You got a, spike. a rail spike to yep. the brain and his whole entire personality changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so now Artie's 18. And he has his first real brush with the law. He broke into a Sears department store and he was arrested for that. He got 18 months probation after explaining that he needed items for Christmas presents. Remember who else did this? Mr. Ted Bundy. Oh, no. I was thinking of the Butcher Baker. Oh, him too. Because he did like get uh, arrested for stealing that saw for a Christmas present. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Ted Bundy. I guess he never really got caught for stealing, oh, yeah. but he, he did, did steal. He did like to steal. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, he got his first real girlfriend, Arthur did, at this time as well. And her name was Sarah Chatterton. They worked together at the family, uh, sorry, the family bargain center where Artie, you know, got fired soon after starting work. They got married in 1964, and Arthur was 19 at this time, and Sarah was 20. And the two moved into a little trailer on Sarah's parents' property. Artie was working now in construction. And um, after they got married, Artie no longer really seemed interested in Sarah. In fact, several weeks into their marriage, the two had not even had sex. Uh, Arthur still seemed to be suffering from that impotence he explained he developed from a young age. Courtney, can you tell us why someone may have impotence? If it's not a physical problem, I mean, are there like mental barriers that can be involved? There certainly can be mental factors that contribute to sexual problems. Um, You know, even just everyday stress, anxiety, and depression um, can have an impact on sexual drive and performance. Um, And we talked a little bit last time about how trauma can also impact um, sexual functioning, um, especially with, like, intrusive memories or, like, those feelings of fear that come up. Um, They kind of, like, override that physical process. So, you know, it's sometimes said that actually the most important sex organ is the brain because yeah, it really, it. you know, controls everything. And so dealing with already real or imagined his traumas, he had said he was raped by mm-hmm. that stranger mm-hmm. and that either his aunt or his mom had sexually molested him. So Correct. either one of those things could be responsible for his occasional often impotence. Correct. Okay. So Arthur just could not hold down a job, and he went from place to place. He discovered what workman's comp was, and he would fake injuries. He refused to go to church, which deeply upset Sarah, who apparently was pretty religious. There was one job that Artie liked, and he was good at it. He was paid $85 a week to be a butcher. But even there, he got fired eventually. In 1965, the two had a son, so apparently there were times when Artie could perform, you know, at least enough to have a kid. Artie, however, still reverted to a child from time to time. A cousin told of an incident where a kid threw a snowball snowball that hit Artie's car, and Artie flew into a rage, and he actually got out of the car, chased the kid into his house where he broke through the wooden door, and he started to hit the kid. When he left, he snagged himself on the busted doorframe, and he just acted like his shoulder was seriously injured, and he started to cry like a baby. For all of this, he was arrested for second-degree burglary, 
He pled guilty to unlawful entry and got six more months of probation. The judge ordered a workup, and this is the conclusion of that workup. Quote, emotionally unstable personality with excitability and ineffectiveness when confronted by minor stress. After this arrest, Sarah filed for divorce. Apparently, Arthur had been cheating on her as well. He says um, because Sarah refused to perform oral sex, um, that's part of the reason why. And also, he kept losing his jobs and he acted weird. All of this combined is kind of why Sarah divorced him. She does claim that he never hit her or abused her. Courtney, do you agree with the above assessment? It seems kind of vague, like it could apply to lots of people. I mean, it is very generic description, um, but it's not inaccurate when it comes to Arthur, right? He was emotionally unstable, and he was not able to cope with minor stress um, in an appropriate manner. Um, what this description doesn't tell us, of course, is the why. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what is it that is causing these traits to happen? Um And honestly, with the information available at the time, you know, the psychiatrist who evaluated him probably really didn't know, Mm -hmm. you know, and understanding of the brain and the body and mental illness and all of this has really grown exponentially since this evaluation, which I'm sort of estimating is kind of like 1965-ish. So we have a lot more information now than we did back then. On April 7th, 1967, Arthur was drafted for the Vietnam War. So now I have to warn you, the things he claims to have done in Vietnam are very shocking and gruesome. But after a bit of a rocky start, Arthur did well in the Army. His efficiency ratings were mostly excellent, and his demeanor was much improved in this structured environment. We see that sometimes, don't we, Courtney, when these criminals or these you know type of people get into a structured environment, they thrive. Yes, it's a really common thing, and... Like you said, we've seen it before with other killers. Um, like Harvey Kerrigan comes to mind right mm-hmm. away, um, where you know people who struggle with impulsivity and decision making um, really thrive being in a setting that's very structured and routine based and has very clear consequences. Um, it kind of provides that like external stabilization that they need in mm-hmm. order to live more effectively. Right. Well, on leave one time, he came home from, you know, the training he was getting, and he married his new girlfriend. Her name was Linda. After that, he was ordered to Vietnam with the 4th Supply and Transport Company on the 4th Infantry Division. Arthur claims that in the middle of October of 1967, he was transporting prop planes to Pleiak, Vietnam. I'm sure I said that wrong. He stayed in the area for a while, and in February of 68, one of his friends got hit in the face. I'm assuming by a bullet, but he did not elaborate. He did say that was a turning point, and he started to drink and smoke pot. He would then wander off by himself in Vietnam for days at a time, doing what he said was his own recon work. He would go back and tell his commanding officers what he had discovered. On one of these outings, he claimed that he came upon enemies and, quote, I shot one woman who was hiding some ammo in a tree. She didn't die right off. I tied her up, gagged her, then searched the area. Found the hut with another girl inside of the age about 16. Knocked her out with the butt of the gun and carried her to where the other girl was. There was a lot of rice, ammo, and other stuff in the hut. I tied the young girl to a tree. Still gagged. Tied her legs, too. They didn't say anything at me to me at all. I had a machete that was very sharp. I cut the first girl's throat, then took off her head and placed it on a pole in front of the hut. That girl at the tree peed and then fainted. 
I stripped her then. First, I gave her oral sex. She fainted several times. I cut her slightly from neck to crotch. She screamed and shit herself. I took my M16, pulled on a nipple, then put the gun to her forehead and pulled the trigger. Cut off her head and placed it in a pole where they got their water. End quote. Um, Arthur will tell more horrifying accounts about his time in Vietnam. He claims that he killed 39 people there. He would brag about all the sex workers he slept with in Vietnam, and then he would rape any female enemies to, quote, teach them a lesson. A male cousin said that Arthur told him that he was, quote, banging a Vietnamese girl and blew her brains out after he was finished, end quote. And I guess what was worse than the story was the way he was telling it, you know, joking around, using his weird duck voice. Anyhow, I, again, I'm unsure what happened in Vietnam, but his imagination, if that's what it is, is sick and disturbing. Courtney, knowing what we do so far about R.D., do you think this stuff actually happened, or do you think he was making it up for attention, or maybe he actually believed it happened? When I first read the book, I thought, yes, he did this. He is totally capable. But now after reading it again, I'm not so sure. What can you tell us if anything might be mentally wrong with him at this point? So I have a, a hard time believing that much of what Artie says happened in the past in Vietnam is true. Um, you know, for one, just if he would wander off for days at a time, he would have had some pretty serious consequences from the military. Um, and not to mention that military records have shown that he was not involved in any sort of combat mission. So interactions with the enemy and things like that were pretty unlikely to have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of how you mentioned this being like a possible fantasy or, you know, attention-seeking feels more likely to me. Um, you know, with the type of head injuries he suffered, he may have had trouble discerning the difference between what was fantasy and what was reality. Or if we look at this from kind of the more traditional antisocial personality kind of lens, it is very common, you know, for people within this population um, to lie or exaggerate um, about their life. I mean, Ted Bundy is a great example of that. He lied about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make himself interesting. In that uh, YouTube uh, interview, he Arthur couldn't recall any of his friends' names in the army, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's kind of weird. So that mm-hmm. sort of lends credence to this being, you know, falsified, that there was no witnesses he could call upon to testify for what he says he had done. Right, exactly. So, well, whatever happened, um, if, if you want to hear more about what he says happened, I recommend the book, The Misbegotten Son, because there's quite a bit of detail um, about what he claims to have done there. But um, he was honorably discharged in the spring of 1969. He and Linda now live in Clayton, New York, and Arthur tried to claim army disability for shrapnel he said was left in him, but the doctor in the U.S. could not find evidence of it or any record of him being hurt in Vietnam. Arthur argued that he had been treated, and that's why there was no evidence of the injury. But whatever. Eventually, they gave him $23 a month (laughs) disability. Um, So seven months after his discharge, Artie was in prison for robbing a gas station. Also, for starting three fires and a few other minor offenses. His wife, Linda, divorced him as well. He actually beat Linda so severely while she was pregnant that she miscarried. So regardless of what he did in Vietnam, he is now becoming violent to women. Um, If that wasn't enough to convince her to leave him, he also killed their dog. 
So he got five years in Attica Correctional Facility for this, and Artie claims that while in prison, he was raped by three men, but he got them back their way. He claims that, quote, I hurt them like they did me, but I used a sock with soap as a blackjack, knocked them out and screwed them, and then smashed them once in the nuts. I was never bothered after that, end quote. Artie also suffered occasional blackouts and feigning spells while incarcerated. When his first parole hearing occurred, the prison psychiatrist had this to say about his mental state. Quote, inmate is an immature adolescent with schizoid personality who decompensated an ego functioning under the influence of unemployment, stress, employment stress, rejection by wife. He should be viewed as a schizoid arsonist who requires supervision, emotional support, and immediate referral to a mental health clinic upon parole. Leighton projected homicidal intent or at least, or sorry, for at least two of his arsons should not be underestimated. So basically he's saying, you know, two of those fires he was trying to kill people is what the psychiatrist thought. Artie was paroled less than two years into his five-year sentence. Um, Courtney, Artie also had two serious suicide attempts prior to being sentenced. One was swallowing many pills while he was married, he said, to stop the torment in his mind from what occurred in Vietnam. And another time he slit his wrists after Linda left him. Uh, What do you want to touch on here? So, um, you know, suicidal behavior is noted as being increased in those who have suffered from traumatic brain injuries um, and or repeated concussions. Um, That's part of that research that's coming out um, Again, like you mentioned, with like all the athletes and things like that. Um, And so it's not necessarily surprising that he would have suicide attempts. Um, And as disorganized and impulsive as Artie was, it's also really possible that he was reacting to just kind of a burst of intense emotions and just kind of did the first thing that came to mind. Um, And whether that's related to like the loss and rejection of Linda um, or, you know, those those memories that he claims from Vietnam, which whether he did all the things he claimed to do or not, he probably did see or hear at least some things that were fairly disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, he's kind of this enigma. Um, and so, yeah, I don't have okay. a lot of like really clear answers, but. Yeah, I mean, there's this one's, again, kind of a speculative story because although he does plenty of interviews and there's plenty of psychological evaluations on him, so many things he claims to have done, there's no witnesses to to corroborate it. Mm-hmm. So, Right, and so many of the other psychological evaluations are very kind of generic mm-hmm. sounding. There's not a lot of like very specific diagnoses sure. and, and things like that. Well, so Artie's now out again and he gets arrested again. He claimed that he raped a 16-year-old who then asked him for money and never told the police. But a few months after that, he did something very horrific. He committed his first murder. On May 7, 1972, 10-year-old Jack Owen Blake went out to play, and he never returned home. When Jack's mother went to the police, they didn't really take it seriously. Um, their family was kind of like known as a trouble family, you know, so... This is kind of like, yeah, he probably just ran away. Um, it took a long time for them to actually send out search parties even. Mary, Jack's mother, was aware of Arthur Shawcross. Um, she had already forbidden her children from being around him. He had com- he had some interaction with the family prior to this happening, and she was like, he just felt off. Stay away from him. She told the, ploy- the police that he had to have had something to do with Jack's disappearance, but the police didn't really take her seriously. They were slow to act. 
And it wasn't until eight-year-old Karen Hill went missing on September 2nd of that year, so what, four months later, that any closure would come to Mary and Jack's family. Karen and her mom were visiting friends in Watertown when Karen disappeared from the front yard. She was out there playing with the bunny rabbit while her mom went to go wash her hair. Frantically, her mom, Helen, searched the town for her daughter when she discovered she was gone. Not long later, police found the body of Karen by a sewer pipe near the Genesee River. Her body was face down and covered with concrete slabs as if to hide her from the view. Um, There was a red ring around her neck and her face was bruised. She had been stripped from the waist down and she had been raped. The police immediately thought of Arthur Shawcross. Ever since Jack's disappearance, he had been on their radar even if they had been slow to act. Art was brought in and after hours of interrogation, this is what Artie said, quote, I must have done it, but I don't actually recall doing it. It was enough of a confession to charge him with the murder of Karen. So now that they had this, they were sure that he had also killed Jack. There had been a tip that a man fitting Artie's description had come out of the woods behind a gas station back on May 7th. Artie wasn't really talking, but he would allude that he might be able to help them locate the missing boy. But he wanted something to help him in his case. He wanted a deal. While Arthur was looking for a deal, if he told more about the whereabouts of Jack, the police started searching that area behind the gas station. And after their second time through, they found the body. There was a tree with its bark removed and placed neatly on the ground below as if to conceal something. And beneath the bark strips was a partial skeleton of a young boy. Some of the bones had been scattered by animals, but blonde hair was still attached to the skull. The boy had been stripped naked and his pants and underwear were found nearby with a shotgun shell in the pocket. They were able to determine that Jack had been running from his captor when he was caught and dragged back into the woods to meet a grisly and horrifying death. When the police found the body, Arthur hadn't yet confessed to it. And, you know, he was in the cop shop being questioned by this one detective and some cops came in and they were yelling that they had found the body and already heard that. So now he shut up because he didn't have that leverage, you know, like, I'll tell you where the body is if you give me this deal because they found the body. Um, so they weren't going to get him to confess because they didn't have any, but they didn't also have enough evidence to tie him to the murder of Jack. So it was a blunder on the police who came in and were yelling, we found the body, we found the body. It was a blunder on their part. Um, so before we go any further, Courtney, do you have anything to say? So at this point, um, you know, we can really look at Arthur's pattern of behavior and probably pretty safely say that he meets criteria for antisocial personality disorder. You know, he has a long documented history of criminal acts, including theft, assault, and arson, and now murder. Um, He does not seem to think or care about consequences or the pain and emotion of others. Um, You know, and the fact that he had the wherewithal to even think about trying to negotiate a deal shows that he had understanding of what he was doing and that it was wrong. Um, and we can also see how he was evolving as a serial killer, um, you know, if we assume that he did not actually kill 39 people in Vietnam and that these were his first kills. Um, you know, he's moved now from assault and animal cruelty to people um, and starting with children as you know, they're, quote, like, easier targets to control and kill than adults. So, unfortunately, this whole case was sort of botched from the get-go. When they had found Karen's body, um, they knew she had been raped. There was semen in her vagina. However, the lab did not test it or type it. 
There was no way to tie it physically to Arthur. They also did not take fingerprints near the crime scene, so it was like below a bridge and there was a railing um, to see if any of those prints matched Arthur's. Also, the examiner did not perform any tests to determine an approximate time of death. The only evidence they really had was that a bike similar to Arthur's had been seen that day at the scene of the crime. However, when they went to go look at his bike, he had attached like a child seat on the back to make it, you know, again, showing foresight Mm -hmm. or forethought or I don't know, whatever that, I don't know which right word it is for that, but um, to make it be like, oh no, that wasn't my bike. Look, I have a child seat on the back, but he did that after the fact. Also, why would he have a child seat on the back? I know, right. Oh, I guess he had kids by now. Oh, yeah. But no, she took them. Okay. Yeah. So the only evidence they really had was that um, the bike, that's why. Okay. I just said that. <laughs> so with all of this against the DA, a deal was offered to Shawcross because they were just so afraid that if they took him to trial or even to the grand jury, they wouldn't be enough evidence to bring him to trial. Arthur had been found competent to stand trial at this time, although this was added to the file quote, in need of psychiatric help. He stated that not only does he hear voices commanding him to do certain things, he also experiences a premonition of what about is about to happen. He asserted that he does not want to be turned loose on society under any circumstances until such a time as he obtains psychiatric help over a sustained period of time. But he was still found competent to stand trial if he needed to be. The, a, the DA decided that if either of the cases went to the grand jury, you know, there was a good chance he wouldn't stand trial. I just said that. But anyhow, they offered him a deal. 25 years for manslaughter of Karen, and in return, he admits to killing Jack. Arthur took the deal, and he pled guilty to Karen's death. Less than 12 months after he was released from Attica Correctional Facility, he was right back in for a sentence of up to 25 years for the murder and rapes of two young children. Courtney? You know, this is another one of those times where there are very, very clear signs that a person is dangerous and needs significant supervision and help. But these, you know, warnings just aren't heeded by the criminal justice system. You know, I know that sometimes, you know, laws and rules leave the courts with their hands tied, kind of like in this situation Mm -hmm. um, with the manslaughter charge. But and so I do have, you know, sympathy for like the prosecutors and things like that who are just trying to do the best they can. Um, But if I was one of the psychiatrists that had assessed him so far or the prosecutor who tried him um, at this trial and at his previous trials, I would be just so angry at the parole boards for continuing to just let him out early. Mm -hmm. Um, it does go into it a bit in the book about how torn the district attorney was for offering this deal, mm-hmm. and he got a lot of shit for it. He did, yeah. I think maybe he didn't get reelected because of it. Um, don't quote me on that. But he was just like, I don't, I need to get him off the street, and with such little evidence physical evidence they had partially because the police didn't do their job of even typing the sperm to match him Mm -hmm. or, you know, Arthur, he was just afraid he'd walk. So Mm -hmm. this is what he thought was the best deal. And he did get convicted for up to 25 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So Courtney, I do wish this was the end, but much like Harvey Kerrigan, it's only the beginning of his reign of terror. Unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that is 
where we're going to stop today. Um, just to recap, got back from Vietnam. Yep. With all sorts of stories of mayhem. Yep. Went on to get divorced for kind of beating his wife and killing his dog. And then killed and raped, or raped and killed two young children, who he is now in jail for manslaughter, not murder, but still 25 years. Yes. Okay. Anything you want to say, or just want to do the social media? Um, I think the next episode is going to say everything that I need to say. Okay. Well, then, have at it. Yeah. So if you, you know, liked our podcast today and continue to enjoy us, please reach out, um, follow, subscribe, message, any of those things on our social media. So you can find us on Instagram at Addicted to M Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Addicted to Murder Podcast. Um, or you could send us an email at Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you, Courtney. That's always the hardest part for me. Just remembering all the different platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, thank you guys for listening, and we hope to hear from you um, with any suggestions, ideas, um, shout-outs, all that good stuff. We really appreciate um, you guys listening to us. We're getting close to 5,000 downloads. Woohoo! And close to 500 followers on Instagram. So, tell your friends. Yeah. All right, everyone. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.